Hey, there he is. There he is. What an absolute pleasure. Welcome. Oh, goodness gracious. Can we get the handcuffs off my friend here? Forgive me, I'm sorry. I'm such a huge fan of yours. I didn't want to make a first impression like this. He's not an animal. Come on. He's a human being. Thank you. Je te laisse pas, il Laisse-nous. Je te laisse pas, il est où? Oui, oui. Uh, we're fine. My name's Justin Hammer. I'd like to do some business with you. Please sit. The world outside your window is not great, but here on Poster Recaps, everything is super. This is the podcast dedicated to all things super heroic, presently focused on the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Hello, everybody. I am Josh Wiggler. I am joined here by a man who, much like Justin Hammer, eats his dessert first before anything else. Kevin Mahadeo and that famous sweet tooth of his. It's here's the thing. When you become an adult, you're allowed to eat food <laughs> Are you in whatever what order you want. When you become an adult? Yes, you get to eat your food in whatever order you decide. If you want to eat your dessert first, that is your right as an adult human. What's your what's like your go-to dessert before? What's your go-to sweet before savory? Like if you're are you going to like eat like a full cheesecake before you get into a chicken? Like how's this going to oh. go? Oh my god. I mean, I love love cheesecake so i will eat cheesecake for any part of any meal really yeah. I, w- I would take that down tiramisu is another favorite uh sweet dessert that i really like you like sort um, of like the soft cakes i do i do um uh especially like key lime pie i'm more mm-hmm. of like i think i lean a little bit towards pie versus how about cake? a strawberry just, cake are you allergic no. to strawberries i'm not i don't like strawberries but i uh, that line by the way <laughs> killed me that's that's definitely one of the most underrated ones because i feel like i felt that I felt that like, oh no, that's me kind of <laughs> like that. Like, well, I knew there was a correlation. This is progress. Oh, yeah, no, that felt, I felt that deeply. Uh, Kevin and I, we've already talked about how we took like that character quiz test. Uh, and we both scored for, for Tony Stark as like the one who is our Marvel <laughs> closest analog. Uh, and like, that was a moment where I felt it too, where it's like, I knew there was a correlation. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot that it was that you're allergic, but it's like, oh, I am very capable, highly capable of making that mistake. Absolutely. Um, my sister-in-law is allergic to strawberries. And one time she went home for her birthday and her mom had a strawberry cake for her in the fridge. Oh, she, she was no. Like, mom, are you trying to kill me? And mom's like, you oh, weren't supposed to see that. So that's worse. That's I worse forgot. than even what Tony Stark did to Pepper Potts. As long as you don't serve Emily eggs, you're doing all right. No, but she does love the bird. Um, (laughs) All right. Well, let's talk about this. Enough dilly-dallying. Let's get into it. Iron Man 2. We're up to our third movie here in the MCU. We're up to our first sequel here in the MCU. So swiftly, we return to the subject of Tony Stark uh, and uh, the poor palladium that's rotting at his core, as is his raging narcissism (laughs) and his his joie de vivre that has been uh, reinfused in him now that he is uh, world-renowned as uh as iron man the best what does he say is like as the greatest makeover of all time is there a better comeback story like i forget right? exactly what he's saying uh when he when he takes the stage but which to an extent is robert downey jr right like like that that's what we kind of talked about like this this movie in this franchise especially was a huge comeback for him in a great way so i totally. do feel like 
he was channeling some personal stuff, and I think that's what makes this character so great for right, him and, and I mean, how like, he portrays even, it. Like, the first big Iron Man scene of the movie is sort of like Marvel taking a bit of like a bow, right? Yeah. Because like <laughs> Iron, Iron Man hits so hard, and now here they are a couple of years later because it takes some time. Uh, for So 2009 passes without a single Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. Uh, after Iron Man in 2008 and Incredible Hulk just a few weeks after that. And at that point, it's like when Marvel's like, all right, stop down. We're assembling the Avengers. Let's come up with a plan. We're getting Thor. We're getting Cap. We're going to stud some people into those movies so that they could show up in Avengers. Uh, but in order to clear the decks for that, we got to come back with another Iron Man. So fast track that. Fast track that Iron Man too. Um, so it's been a minute since Iron Man's been on screen at the point where like this movie doesn't start here, but it effectively starts here with, you know, Tony Stark taking a bow and it does feel kind of ceremonial for, for Marvel itself, but is it an earned bow? And this is the question that we are going to be, uh, at least a little bit talking through, I think here on this podcast is when you look at those MCU rankings that all of us crazy people do. And that's one of the things that we are doing here on everything is super. We're coming up with an official MCU ranking, very scientifically, but everybody has their unscientific ways of doing this or their very personal ways of doing this. And I think when you look at the rankings that a lot of people do, certainly I'm looking at yours right now, Kevin, and I'm looking at mine. Um, the one that I scrawled out uh, at, a, at a bar right before Avengers Endgame came out and the one that you scrawled ahead of, uh, I think, during the Iron Man release. Yes. Um, so we hadn't even gotten as far as Incredible Hulk yet. You and I both have Iron Man 2 as the second worst Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. And I think even at the time, there was this feeling that Iron Man 2 was just like going through some motions and it was just here because you got to get Tony Stark back in action. This is just like a phoning it in movie. Like this is just fully not really uh, worthy of the hype. This is just, it's just there. And as long as it's moving us closer to Avengers, as long as we're going to get Thor and Cap next, like we'll see it through. But like you're on thin ice here. Going back and revisiting the movie, Kevin... Is that reputation fair? Is the reputation that Iron Man 2 is like the second worst Marvel Cinematic Universe movie, is that fair? Is this movie really that bad? Or is this movie actually kind of fun? Because I think it's Uh, actually kind of sort of fun. This movie is actually kind of fun. It has great, great moments and it has some really, really dumb ones. It has, but some, it has some incredibly stupid shit in it. Oh, uh, and some, like, so stupid. Some very dated stuff as well. Tony Stark canceled. Uh, like Tony <laughs> Stark, very cancelable person here. Uh, and I think so, like great to get Scarlett Johansson in the mix and great to get Black Widow in the mix. But like some of the ways that she's handled in this, not my favorite. Um some dumb stuff, the birthday party, whatever, but like there's a lot of fun stuff here too. And I think even a lot of the stuff that like gets like remembered poorly, I actually think maybe is all right. I'm looking at you, Mickey Rourke. I think yeah. you're okay. I think you're fine. I mean, here, like my, my ranking is going to reflect because I do think Mickey Rourke is great. And like, there's a lot in here that made me really love Mickey Rourke. The character I think is not great, but we can get into that later. Sure. I, I just, I, I think, I mean, certainly after coming off of Incredible Hulk, the, is this movie the second worst movie in the MCU? No, no, <laughs> not anymore. Like, yeah. I think, I think we can all land on that one, and you know, we'll we'll get to what we consider the worst, and maybe that changes too. I don't know. After Iron Man two, 
I don't know anything yeah. anymore. This was a pleasure to watch. And what a strange thing to say. I really didn't think it would be. I, I really kind of thought like, oh, here we go. All right. Iron Man 2. Uh, I, I have this thing where like in, in my mind, Iron Man 2 is just a bad movie. And then I go and I revisit it and Iron Man 2 is fun. And then I get away from Iron Man 2 again for a while. And then like it just becomes a bad movie again in my memory. And then I revisit it again. And it's still fun. Uh, this is what happened to me in my road to Avengers Endgame. I think this must have been like in the in the days leading up to Endgame. And so this was happening after I had done like that, like quick notepad uh, rankings of the movies. But I remember going back and watching Iron Man 2 and being like, ah, kind of a blast. And there's like an added level of poignancy now to Iron Man 2 that has never existed for me in watching this movie until this week when I watched it. Because, again, just in case you don't know, Everything is Super is a spoiler-filled Marvel Cinematic Universe rewatch podcast, and we are talking about spoilers all the way through Avengers Endgame. So if you care about that, if you haven't seen those movies, if you're trying to do this unspoiled, check out now. That's all the filibuster you're going to get. I'm about to spoil the major thing from Avengers Endgame, which is that Iron Man dies. Uh, Iron Man actually dies, and much of Iron Man 2 is about, like, what is Tony Stark doing in the wake of like a terminal diagnosis? Uh, and it's so fascinating to me to like watch this, this version of him kind of wrestle with that and maybe get some of those like party man, playboy jitters out in this movie that allows him to like mature and grow as a character across his arc for the rest of the MCU. That just never existed for me before watching Iron Man two. And that's something that now does exist for me watching this movie. Absolutely. And I think that we see a lot of callbacks. I mean, it is very clear, I think, that uh, the, the the powers that be went back and, and rewatched a lot of this, too, and to pull certain things as, as they went on. And the stuff with his dad, especially, I think, is very poignant and very impactful, knowing how this all turns out. I mean, you know, there's that line where he's saying the happiest day of his of his dad's life was the day he shipped me off to boarding school. And Nick Fury right. was like, that's not true. And certainly now that we saw Endgame and we went, he went back in time to meet his dad as he's going home and worried about being a father. I think that scene becomes more powerful knowing these moments from Iron Man 2. I think, you know, what you said is true, though. Like, it is a fun blast to watch. And I think the difference becomes like, it's a fun movie. But like, whenever we look at it in a broader context, it always felt not important and not impactful enough. Um, and I think to an extent that is still true, but the smaller moments, the character moments, the character growth moments, the, the moments that are necessary for Tony to have his huge, huge character arc over the course of this entire, um, you know, uh, four phase, uh, system is, is really, or three phase, I guess is, is really big, uh, and important in, in Iron Man two and setting that up. Um, and again, then there's some dumb stuff where you have a birthday party fight, but, uh, I, I do think it, it it's better and it's more fun to watch. The rankings may not reflect it in into it's not it's not going to be num- in the top ten for us, but it's certainly not, not the, the worst. The no, no, no. Yeah. But I mean, I think like uh, even without looking at it, we're going to leave this podcast. Iron Man, Iron Man Two, Incredible Hulk for sure. Yeah, I, I think that's fair to say where we are at the moment. Spoilers for that, but yeah, I, I think it's safe to say that. But this movie did really have some great stuff. Some great, great stuff. The Speedway fight is fantastic. It's really like, fun. It really is. And it's also uh, any time Mickey Rourke says, I want my bird. Like, <laughs> so apparently, like, I remember hearing that was real. just a real thing, though. Like, I yeah. think Mickey Rourke himself wanted a bird yes. for the character, which makes me laugh that that like they, one incorporated that like 
that that meta commentary in a way because like that was one of the most famous stories that came out of it is that mickey rourke was like my character should have a bird yeah all right so uh, again the great torbjorn fraser a great friend of the podcast here uh contributes some behind the scenes details every week uh and of course your feedback always welcome super at post show recaps Dot com is our email address. You can also tweet at us at post show recaps at round Howard is me at Kev Mahadeo is Kevin. Uh, and also, by the way, we've got our feed up our post show uh, recaps. Uh, everything is super specific feed is up. So wherever you get your podcasts, you can subscribe directly to our feed. And if you do those ratings and reviews greatly, 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 greatly. I don't even know if I could say greatly another time without botching the pronunciation of the word greatly appreciated uh, as we were hoping to, to lure new people to the podcast all along the way. Um, but Torbjorn Frazier has a lot of these behind the scenes details and says that, yeah, a lot of whiplashes identifying features were suggested by Mickey Rourke. Uh, he wanted to perform half of his role in Russian. He <laughs> consulted on the character's tattoos on his gold teeth, as well as having the pet cockatoo. Uh, in fact, Rourke paid for the bird and the gold teeth out of his pocket. Oh, that's great. Uh, that actually makes me feel a lot better because like part of me is like, I love that. But what a nightmare it must have been. But if he paid for it himself, that's great. Like, honestly, I, almost, I appreciate I that. Feel the, the reverse. I almost feel like <laughs> Marvel, you got to put the bill on that. You got to make sure that bird is safe. I don't know that you want like Mickey Vork to be responsible for your Iron Man 2 bird. Like, I think uh, maybe you want like some some corporate handlers involved in the handling of this living creature. I mean, Yes, like <laughs> but just some like some oversight, I think, is probably all right. Let's just assume Mickey Rourke also paid for that. Let's just give him the benefit of the doubt at this point like, that he Mickey also Rourke paid for have to pay for the gold teeth. Uh, I, I think it's so we, we th- I think that the, the parallels between Tony Stark and Ivan Vanko are it's something that's worth talking about here because that's a big piece of the movie. But I, I, I think that in terms of um, where the actors are. I think it's also kind of compelling uh, where Robert Downey Jr. has this huge renaissance uh, with the success of Iron Man um, that, you know, he had been like to some extent in like Hollywood jail uh, because he had also been in literal jail uh, and things just were not going great for him. And he'd had kiss, kiss, bang, bang. And that was great. And that put him on the radar of Favreau and he gets Iron Man. And obviously Iron Man blows up and he's so recognizable in that role. And he's able to negotiate himself a really great deal. Um, Something where he like basically, you know, prices himself out to the extent that he's going to have to get killed off at some point. Uh, <laughs> I mean, like, many, many movies later. So many, he's many doing movies fine. Later, and he, en- he ends up uh, with like, you know, a really great relationship with Marvel. And I think that that allows him to to renegotiate his deal for like Captain America Civil War and Spider-Man Homecoming and, and movies like that. Um, but he ends up like with like a really huge deal that like nobody like Chris Evans, Chris Hemsworth, nobody comes close to touching. Um, and simultaneously with all of this, this is all happening like around 2008 ish, right? Uh, Mickey Rourke, who himself is something of like, uh, if you want to call him a reformed bad boy or like it, just a bad boy who is having himself a bit of a moment, he's kind of back in a way that he hadn't been in a while. Like he's Marv in Sin City, yep. uh, who's not like a supremely iconic comic book character, but if you're a Sin City fan, uh, that's like the guy uh, from, you know, the first Sin City book and Mickey Rourke brings him to brilliant life. Uh, and that movie is a is a is a real hit. Certainly, it's a it, it's a it's a huge hit in terms of its budget. Sin City had a, a one hundred and sixty million dollar box office on a forty million dollar budget, which is wild. Uh, and Mickey Rourke is a huge piece of that. That's when he gets the wrestler 
the Darren Aronofsky movie that he was like a, a shoe in to win an Oscar for. Uh, and then along came, I believe it was uh, Sean Penn as Harvey Milk yeah. uh, in Milk that ends up uh, as like the, the, the stealth uh, victor of uh, the Best Actor Award after Mickey Work was cleaning it up at the Oscars that year. Um, and now you think about like what's Mickey Work up to right now? You know, what's he doing? What what happened from there? The he's Expendables in, 3. He's in The Expendables. <laughs> I think he was just in the one. I think he was just in the first Expendable. Like he didn't. He, he, he was, was he not in the other two? I he thought he had showed up, but you might be right. <laughs> no, he's not in the other Expendables. Uh, he was in this movie, uh, Immortals. I don't know if you saw that with uh, with Henry Cavill, a.k.a. Superman. Oh, I, I, I'm aware of Immortals. I actually low-key like that film, even though it's not good. <laughs> uh, Loki's next week. Uh, hey. <laughs> Mickey Rourke reprised his role as Marv in Sin City, A Dame to Kill For, which had a bigger budget than the first Sin City. It's $65 million budget, and it made a box office return of $39.4 million. Woof. So it doesn't go great uh, for, for Mickey Rourke and his career after he's kind of having this moment. He's on this upswing. And think about how that kind of parallels the Vanko Stark arc uh, of like uh, Ivan Vanko's father is like a big piece of the success of Stark. And he kind of gets thrown to the side. He gets like a bad dose of bad luck. And then he just like gets like grinded under the fist of life. Uh, And here comes his son uh, who's trying to like uh, reshape his father's legacy in a way that Iron Man is trying to reshape his family legacy as well. And I think it's just sort of a fascinating meta thing in the ways in which that's being mirrored by the performers, too, and their and their careers. Not like any of that's intentional, but I just think that that is there as some subtext. And if that's like the kind of subtext that, that you like when you're when you're watching a movie, like if, if that like informs your your view of a film, then maybe read a movie like I, I do sometimes, because that's definitely on my mind as I'm watching Mickey Rourke bring Whiplash to life this time in a way that I just hadn't really considered that before. But that's like a very big piece of the character is this person who like who who was like a, 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 a should have been a star, like should have been like king of the ring uh, and something else happened. Uh, and that rivalry is playing out across uh, Iron Man, too. And it's not even like necessarily like the big centerpiece of the movie. But in terms of that dynamic between those two characters, that's there. And I guess I appreciated it more this time than I have before. I think. You are correct. I think there's a lot in there that's really interesting about the character and how they approached it in that way. Um, but on the other hand, I feel like this is similar to The Incredible Hulk, where I'm like, that is really interesting and deep, fascinating. I wish there was more delving into that. Like the same sure. way that Emil Blonsky didn't have, he had just like the bare minimum of it. I think they should have invested a little bit more into developing that because that would have made it an interesting character a more interesting character and a more dynamic villain than what we ultimately ended up with, which was a great performance for Mickey Rourke, but a villain that didn't shine through. Totally. And I think part of it is, is what you said. I think there, there, there is more of a, a depth of, of pathos and ethos that you could have had that they didn't focus on, um, you know, to, to get a little bit lost. Cause like this movie reminded me a lot of the problems with, with villains sometimes in movies and especially in some Marvel movies. To have me go off on a, on a not not a rant necessarily, but go. a famous Kevin thing. Um, I'm going to talk about writing, even though I'm not a professional writer yet. Um, but villains are important in stories. And a, a good adage that people follow 
is this idea that the villain should be a reflection of the hero. And that is accurate, yes. But I think what happens sometimes is, unfortunately, you end up in situations where people just take that a little too literally, and you end up with with Obadiah Stane, you end up with Whiplash, you end up with Yellow Jacket, you end up with these villains who are basically just, well, they have the same powers as the, the hero, except they're bad. And the reasons for being bad are sometimes surface, sometimes minuscule. And instead, it's just oh, the hero fights a quote-unquote dark reflection, but it's not that. I think what it really is should be, and I think what gets lost in, in the translation often, is that it's not a reflection necessarily to the point of having him in the same power set. It It's a part of the hero's psyche or a part of their personality amplified to a degree of darkness uh, as a way of putting it. And, and to make a comparison, one of the most famous arguments about Batman villains that I do support to an extent is that each of them should reflect a part of him taken to a... A A part of Batman, yeah. Yeah, part of Batman taken to a bad degree, right? So uh, Joker is that chaos and insanity that does exist, that small part of Batman that is a bit crazy. That's that part of it. You have Ra's al Ghul, who is Batman's hardcore planning, his strategy. That exists in Ra's al Ghul. Scarecrow is his fear. Each of these characters have these aspects of what Batman's personality is taken to a different degree. It's even reflected and should be, if you're my favorite character, Superman, the best way to look at Superman's villains uh, is that, right? Lex Luthor is Superman's humanity taken to a dark degree. That's the worst thing that humanity could be is Lex Luthor. Mr. Mitzelplex? I actually have an answer for that. That's Superman's godhood. People talk about Superman being a god, a a person able to do anything. Mixed Plitlick is absolutely that. He's a god able to do anything taken to a bad degree. Brainiac is his alien aspect. Uh, General Zod, who does have his mimic of power, is his Kryptonian. The Kryptonian side of Superman taken to a bad degree. Each of them have a unique aspect of Superman of, that people comment on, but shown to be a reflection, a dark reflection of it. They don't just reflect his powers, but part of his psyche, and they can have his powers, but that's an amplified to the first, which is the psyche. And I think what gets lost in translation here is exactly that. What you said, brilliant part of taking that part of a psyche that could be twisted and, and done with, but instead we end up with a, a final fight that's Iron Man versus a bunch of Iron Man with real no real emotional stake or sure. ethos or pathos behind it. And that's a fault we see a lot in these stories, and I think the best villains do that well. The ones that stand out in Marvel do it well. Thanos is a great example. Thanos is a universal villain, but ultimately he was an Iron Man villain. And what he represented is Tony Stark's ego. Because Thanos and Tony are the same person. Because Thanos was convinced he knew what was best for the future and he knew what was best for humanity. Other people say otherwise be damned. And Tony felt the same way. Tony made the same arguments in Civil War. And that's what makes them so interesting and dynamic. And not also mention Thanos has this magic power where Tony is tech based. There's a lot there that works really well for those comparisons of those two characters and why Thanos is a way better villain at the end of the day is because he reflected something in Tony that we got to see taken to a bad degree. So that's my rant on villains. Just no, that's when brilliant. you do them, take a little bit of thought into that. Don't just follow the surface level adage of dark reflection. Like really think about what it means to have your villain and what it represents. You don't always have to do it that way. Villains can be a lot more, but you're doing the basic approach try that like really delve into it and think about what the aspects of your character psyche is and how you could use that to your advantage and so do you not see any of that in whiplash and justin hammer in this movie like do you do not see like um uh whiplash i mean i guess really both whiplash and justin hammer to me if i'm trying to like map that ethos to them as they pertain to iron man 
would both be fairly similar of like both of them like or or may, maybe it's like that whiplash has the the stark genius but not the the backing uh and not the success and uh maybe justin hammer has like a modicum of the stark success but none of the genius to yes to an extent i i that is there but again it's so surface level to it right like he has a genius but not a success how has that really affected him and his motivations because that doesn't necessarily align with this aspect of like i way prefer also the idea of like make god bleed that's actually something that we see with uh baron zemo who is actually one of my favorite villains in the mcu um because his motivations were similar to basically tear down these heroes and show the world they what, do that they're similar, just like us they do a similar thing with with uh is it baron zemo or helmet in um oh, helmet, helmet yes helmet, sorry helmet helmet, helmet zero helmet, yes uh is it zero Be- what what is his name again Zemo. Zemo, 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 yeah. Zemo, 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 Zemo. <laughs> like uh, the drink, but with an O. Uh, <laughs> but like they do the thing with him that they're trying to do with Whiplash, except they make it a lot more emotional and better. Exactly, uh, because they had a connection to to the hero in a way that, that fit that character. And I think, again, like it's there, but we don't really see how that influenced his decisions and, and what he ended up with. And Justin Hammer is like, oh, Tony the Warmonger, but we didn't it wasn't developed in that way. Like that character's entire motivation is just like, I got embarrassed by Tony and I want to do better and make these robots. How mad can you be at Sam Rockwell? He's dancing on stage. She's eating his ice cream. My favorite thing though is like, it's also, they do, there's one moment where you're just like, this is why this character isn't as good as Tony Stark and is dumber is because he's just like, no drones aren't what we want. We want people in suits. And I'm like, drones are better because then you don't have a, person in a suit on the what front are you talking lines? about you're trying to take away their jobs kevin <laughs> oh my god but uh, yeah, yeah I, especially it, after like they had like the video of like the one person in the hammer armor who's broken like, in half basically yeah he's like that guy's alive it's like yeah well in what condition right uh, like what did you do to that man and that could be again that could be an interesting aspect of like what is what is tony the businessman had he stopped caring about human collateral right that could be interesting but you you have Sam Rockwell in the role who I love, but he's not the actor who's going to portray that aspect of it, or nor be written to. And instead, you have him dancing on uh, uh, on stage, which I love. My name right now is Justin Hammer's dancing. Uh, also, I'm pretty convinced Sam Rockwell has in his contracts he has to dance in every movie that because at this dancing. point, I think he does. It's very good. Um, at it. But like, it's not you. You lose those aspects of it, and I think you know. It's 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 starting to be there, but they don't delve into it enough. It's also a problem when you have two villains, right? When you have two villains uh, and you don't delve into each of them enough, you end up in a very muddled muddled water. Well, uh, Spider Man Three. This is a this is a movie that's trying to do a lot, and there's a lot riding on this movie. This is the movie that's like getting us back in on the track of like, well, we're here. We are 2010. We're gonna have Iron Man two. We're gonna have Thor later in the year. Next year, we're gonna have Cap, and the year after that, we're gonna have the Avengers. Like we're here. It's happening. Uh, And there's a lot on Iron Man two as a safe bet that people are gonna come and see this movie. It makes more money than the original Iron Man. Um, It's uh, got a reported two hundred million dollar budget. It makes in its opening weekend most of that back, or a lot of that back anyway. One hundred twenty eight million. Uh, in its opening weekend, uh, worldwide, six hundred twenty-three uh, ish million dollars. Uh, so it's a really safe bet. They know what to expect from Iron Man at this point. They know that they're going to get money, and they know that this has got to be the place where they need to start building some some stepping stones towards what they hope will make a shit ton more money. 
boy does it <laughs> and boy does it they you know it pays off but maybe at the expense of you know coherency uh here in in iron man 2 because it's not just that iron man's got these two bad guys here in justin hammer and and whiplash um who are barely on his radar for much of the movie you know he's really fighting himself for so much of it and then the whiplash and justin hammer stuff uh, while it could be really fun, that's mostly a credit to Mickey Rourke and to Sam Rockwell than it is uh, to you know the ways in which they are necessarily interacting with Tony Stark. Um, this is also uh, going to be where you're going to get like your Captain America Shield Easter egg. This is also <laughs> that's, it. that's what I needed. That was the important. This, this is also going to be where Samuel Jackson returns as Nick Fury in a bigger way and is trying to like push Tony towards the Avengers, and then like that kind of takes its own little turn. Um, and there's also a lot of, you know, obviously Scarlett Johansson shows up as, as Black Widow here. And there's a parallel universe. Uh, I think universe. you mean Nata- Nata- Natalie, Natalie Rushman. Natalie Russian Rushman. <laughs> Natalie Rushman. The Russian. Uh, great alias. It's just I mean, like, so obvious. I, I'm so happy that we're getting to talk about Black Widow. But like, man, like, thank God they have the Avengers pretty quickly after this. Because it's just such a... <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm honestly glad they just did the reveal. Can you imagine if we went this movie without knowing that that was Black Widow, but her no, name was no Natalie world. Rushman? No, it's just like no come world. On. There's no world where they were going to do that. But like everything else that we come to know about Black Widow, like unless like this is like just how lowly they think of of uh, Tony Stark, we're like we'll just hide Natalie Rushman in plain sight. <laughs> um, but they're serving a lot of masters. Is the point? Um, they have to like add more to Iron Man 2 to further the Tony Stark adventure. And I think where that is the most successful is where they're dealing with like the characters that were already on the table. Like I, I, uh, you know, Rhodey is maybe not my favorite in this movie, even though I, I, I definitely, you know, rewatching this so quickly after the first Iron Man, I'm, I'm very happy with Don Cheadle. I think that he's great. I just think the story is like a little bit wanting for me. Um, but like the banter between him and RDJ is obviously really, really, really great. The pepper pot story, like obviously Tony and pepper, uh, the strawberry thing is just hysterical. The moment where he makes her CEO. Uh, I really love that scene quite a bit. Um, and she's, she's just really good in that role. I think a really underrated component um, of the MCU uh, is just is just her performance in these in these two movies and even in in three. I think that she's just very funny when she needs to be, but she's also very human. Um, and I think that the movie is most successful when it's like when it's just trying to like advance the ball and some some of that stuff that they set up in the first one. Like a lot of Tony's arc across the MCU is sort of him dealing with PTSD and how does he live with like the trauma of uh, what happened to him? Uh, you know how he got injured him reckoning with like what his life's work has done to other people across the world. And then him kind of like reckoning with like, well, who am I now? And you know, if the, if the movie ended in this like provocative way last time with, I am Iron Man and he's adding himself as a superhero, uh, like here he is dealing with a different shade of Messiah complex, I think is, is a great way of pushing in deeper on the most provocative moment of the first movie. But to do all of that, and then to have a, a bad guy that's going to accurately reflect that and push that further while also having a second bad guy that's going to pe- be a piece of that while also having like a Avengers track that needs to be laid 
you're asking for a lot. And and so there's there's a lot behind the scenes on this one that I think is is worth highlighting. First of all, this movie, the screenplay credit gets uh, it's credited to my man, Justin Thoreau, uh, a.k.a. <laughs> AKA Kevin Garvey of The Leftovers. He's a, a really great writer in his own right. I think he's either the sole writer or co-writer of Tropic Thunder. Um, Justin Thoreau, who I, I really badly wanted to be Doctor Strange uh, once upon Interesting. a time. I think he would have been awesome, but whatever. Hopefully there's still a role for Justin Thoreau in the MCU in the future. Unless he has like one of those blink and you'll miss it cameos. Um, but this was this was a movie where there was a lot of behind the scenes woes. We we talked about Terrence Howard priced himself out. Um, Samuel L. Jackson nearly doesn't return. Uh, he is not uh, he's not going to return unless he gets more screen time. The screen time is threatened. They give him more screen time. They also sign him to like this huge nine picture deal which I don't know where we're at on that at this moment in time. Uh, I would have, I, I would have to like stop down and look at some math and, yeah. and figure that out and do some number crunching there. It's, has he satisfied that contract? Has he, has he done a new contract? Um, there's some friction with Favreau, with John Favreau, uh, with them uh, having him rewrite the script as they're going, obviously because they want to have that stuff with like, there's some business in New Mexico. You think you're my only priority Stark? You don't even know what's happening in New Mexico, but you will in two months when <laughs> Thor hits theaters. So there's just there's there's like that kind of stuff that's happening that I think is souring a few people in the Marvel process. And you wonder like how much of that is Paramount or how much of that is um, like Perlmutter, who is the guy at the forefront of Marvel at the time. And like, we don't need to do like the big historical deep dive into who that guy is for people who don't know who Ike Perlmutter is other than to say he's bad. Uh, he's bad and he's not he's not uh, running the shit anymore. That's now uh, it's a full foggy thing for the most part. Um, so there's like all of this stuff is swirling around. So the fact that the movie ends up being as fun as it is while having some moments that are just kind of like bump um, is kind of a success to my mind. Um, all things considered uh, in the same way that like a lot suddenly riding on incredible Hulk. And they're now trying to like, kind of like force feed, like they're trying to turn like the incredible Hulk liver into foie gras. Like, <laughs> and they're now like trying to do the same thing here with Iron Man two of like funneling it with like all of this rich MCU connectivity stuff. The fact that all of that happens definitely like makes the thing heavier and more bloated and is not a contributing factor to the stuff that I like about the movie. But the reason why this one works better than Incredible Hulk for me is for the same reason why with all of like the sort of like bootstrap ways in which Iron Man and Incredible Hulk came together, it was sort of like this alchemy of Favreau and Robert Downey Jr. And I would say Gwyneth Paltrow in the mix there too, uh, that all of that just like swirls together in a way that Incredible Hulk does not. And that is still the stuff that swirls together really well here in Iron Man 2 with the added benefit of Don Cheadle as an actor, I think. Like, I do think that the chemistry between him and Tony is really great. Like, that final fight scene where, uh, like, I, th I think of the three movies, and you and I have to try and get on the same page here because we're doing our informal final battle rankings along the way here, Kevin. I think that this is the top so far. And I think that it, and I think that it's mostly because like there's really great friend banter between uh, Tony and Rhodey. And that's largely because Don Cheadle is a really, really good actor. I don't agree. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. I, it's the final battle. I think they lose this me one. when Whiplash shows up. 
It does, Whip, but Whip even... shows up and then they, like, kill him in five seconds. It's like, in Whip five Lash, seconds. You were so smart. You were doing this... Everything you were doing up until that moment was great. Like, you just wanted to make God bleed. You did, your ambitions were, were, were so humble. All you wanted to do was, like, publicly humiliate Tony Stark and hurt him a little bit and show other people that, yeah, he's fallible and you can go after him. You were happy to, like, live a life out in prison after that. Uh, and then you get broken out and you're handed an opportunity and... Justin Hammer thinks that you're just like some idiot he can like, you know, seduce with with finer things and dessert for dinner. And Mickey Rourke decides like, oh, I'm just going to make him think I'm some dumb Russian. He's like he's playing that part really well. And then he's got the drones turned on everybody. And that's really great, too. But then he shows up. Then he goes to the battlefield. It's like, no, don't do that. That's how you're going to get yourself killed. And he gets killed in five seconds. And it makes sense because he's up against Iron Man and War Machine with like a thousand <laughs> Gatling guns. Yeah, no, it, it is ridiculous, and that is such an anticlimactic moment. But even before that, I mean, one, it's, again, Iron Man fighting drones, which, sure, whatever. Um, but it, one, it suffers from what I have said before, where, to me, that final battle, it didn't matter where it took place. I mean, the set the set of the, the Disney exposition, I mean, the world, ex- I mean, the Tony Stark <laughs> exposition, yeah. yes. um, was, uh, it, you know, like, it, it didn't really play into it enough. Like, it didn't really factor into the, the, the set, especially since they were flying around elsewhere as well. The Speedway is way, way, way better of a fight piece, I, I think, oh, for, sure. for this yeah, movie, yeah. Yeah, um, comparatively. And, like, I think you get a better set piece it, with, with the fight with Warmonger in the first one. It wasn't a great one, but I think it, it, it ultimately was better as a set piece and as a battle. The banter, yes, I agree. And as we'll see in the Marvel films, the banter between these characters are going to be what carries a lot of it especially during the fights and, and enhances it I, I think they hit the balance in the amazingest way of course during uh, avengers but of course joss whedon is known for his banter especially during action pieces and between characters um but that also comes around to i think you're right there's a lot of problems with this film in terms of glomming a lot of stuff together but the thing that holds up and i think the thing that does especially well are the characters and their performances. I mean, the problem with Incredible Hulk with this mishmash of alchemy is also that I don't think the the characters and the performances were there enough because the characters weren't didn't have enough of a personality for a lot of them. Meanwhile, you really we knew RDJ right, like, and we knew Pepper. But I will say Pepper Potts MVP for this movie for me. Like, we give Goop a lot of you know a lot of backlash for her, rightfully so in real not life. Crazy, yeah, not undeserved. But. but as an actress, she's great. The way she's like freaking out in the speedway scene, the way she's freaking out at the end, I think she does such a great job. And Gwyneth Paltrow, I'm definitely giving MVP credit for this movie, even though it's a movie with a great Mickey Rourke and a great uh, Sam Rockwell, her all the way. That said, you also get Black Widow, an introduction to the character that really hits exactly who that character is throughout this movie. And we kind of glossed over it, but this is the first Nick Fury, really. Like before he was there for a hot second, but this is the first time... Samuel L. Jackson is really playing that character. Well, he plays that character perfectly. Like Robin actually was watching it and she's like, oh yeah, it didn't even occur to me that this is his first time really doing it because I'm just so used to being like, yeah, Nick Fury. But he was Nick Fury out the gate in a great way. Personality, delivery, attitude, everything was there for that character. And I commend that. I also, I really can't blame him for wanting to be contracted and having more screen time oh, because yeah, the last- Of course, get that the paper, last, man. 
But not even that. The last passionate franchise that that man did that he cared about was <laughs> right. Star Wars. He loved yeah. Star Wars and he got cast in this role and he got screwed in such a bad way. So I can't blame him for being a fan Mace of Windu comics. Is like, still alive. Keep uh, hope alive. You don't see the body. He's no. out there. Uh, but Mace like, Windu, Disney Plus. <laughs> I mean, I would watch the hell out of a. Uh, I don't like, know why Russell Hans is such a Mace Windu fan, but he is. <laughs> Russell and Feathers. Um, yeah. But, like, it is crazy that, you know, or it's not crazy that he wanted a better approach for this character because Samuel Jackson is famously a comic book Attack fan. Attack the Clones is the best Star Wars movie. It's the uh, worst, arguably, yeah, Russell dude. Hans thinks so, though. <laughs> oh, uh, Russell Hans is wrong. Also, by the way, uh, I do have a comment to throw out there because everything that Mickey Rourke was doing, he showed up and he had that toothpick, and I was like, who is he, Wendell? Like, <laughs> what is yeah. happening here? That's how you, yeah, that's the new winner's edit, but it didn't yeah. work out for Whiplash, unfortunately. He was, <laughs> he was ahead of his time. He was ahead of his time. Maybe that's um, where Wendell got it. Wendell's like, I like that. Anyway, <laughs> fully co-signed on the Nick Fury of it all. Um, Scarlett Johansson as Natalie Rushman, a.k.a. Natasha Romanoff, a.k.a. Black Widow, uh, was very nearly not Natalie Rushman, a.k.a. Natasha Romanoff, a.k.a. Black Widow. Uh, do you know this? No. Uh, Wait. So I remember this very well. I, so Iron Man 2, I, I think I maybe have a, a little bit of like a softer spot in my heart for Iron Man 2 uh, because... And you and I have talked about how the MCU is sort of like our adult Star Wars. Like, yeah. you know, this, you know, the the movies started as you and I were like at the outset of our careers. So, you know, young adults just out of college and now these movies are happening and they've like defined my adulthood, uh, which is a totally different experience than something like Star Wars, which defines your childhood uh, for us anyway. Um, and not even the cool ones. It kind of yeah, sucks. Unfortunately. Uh, unfortunately, it's the prequels. Um but I was I was uh, I was working uh, as a freelance writer at this point in time. Uh, we're you know two years beyond uh, our days together at Wizard Magazine, Kevin. And at this point in time, I am a writer for MTV Splash Page, uh, which is the superhero movie blog uh, where it was superhero movies were such a boom now after Iron Man and after Dark Knight and everything like that. Um, that it was all superhero all the time. And uh, there was like a full vertical created for it over at MTV news. And I was one of the, like the, the lead writers over there. And so I was covering Iron Man two very aggressively. Like anytime there was a casting announcement, ironically enough for me anyway, ultimately uh, typically in like the Hollywood reporter, I would be like linking out to them all the time. Um, there was this big song and dance about casting in the MCU. Uh, like, who's going to be Thor? Who's going to be Steve Rogers? Like, who are these people going to be? And for Black Widow, it was fairly set in stone for a while, I think, that it was going to be Emily Blunt uh, was going to be Black Widow. And then she had to withdraw because of her pre-existing conflict with the 2010 movie Gulliver's Travels. The Jack Black one? To bring it back to a Survivor reference, yeah, the Jack, yeah, right. That, whoa, I don't want to talk about that moment in Survivor because right that was now Sophie Clark judging this news very harshly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I just em- oh, Sophie's reaction though was so perfect. Just Emily just looked- has obviously done totally fine in in her life in a, in a very good way, and it's not impossible that we will still someday talk about Emily Blunt as somebody in the MCU. Uh, shall we just be like super cool and uh, join the bandwagon and call our shot here as we're recording? Uh, in April 2020, April 22nd, 2020, as we're recording this, 
they like, yeah, obviously Emily Blunt and John Krasinski are going to be Invisible Woman and Mr. Fantastic. Like, that's absolutely what's going to happen. It should be. And it's actually, that's really fascinating and interesting because John Krasinski was also, um, you know, rumored to be... Yeah, rumored to be Captain America. So can it you imagine? Just rumored he was in. He like did the test. He was he was right there. He was right there, and then it fell apart. And then Chris Evans came in out of nowhere. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. Yeah, um, we'll talk about it in a couple of weeks. But it would have been great to see. I mean, it would have been interesting. We would have got that ahead of time. That said, if we lost out on that, so we could get uh, Emily Blunt and John Krasinski as Reed and Sue. I mean, worth worth it in my opinion but i even, think that would be beyond great beyond that hard to imagine black widow as anybody other than scarlett johansson who is already a very famous person at the time and is like a good get here but like this is a star making turn for her this is going to like lead her to a bunch of like these big action roles that she has a lot of like the um the like the oscar buzzy success that she has beyond this as well um some of the unsavory things i was gonna say she would also let her say some real dumb stuff in real life but again just as we're not gonna hold that against goop for for the purposes of the character and the acting she's great she's great as that character get into that offline uh (laughs) as much as you'd like uh hit us up on twitter (laughs) we are available uh that it's 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 hard to think of that character without without scarlett johansson and yet like i i think it's because like she is really like treated very much as eye candy here. She's just sort of like, she's talked about as a sexual harassment lawsuit in the making by, by Pepper to Tony, the way that Tony is treating her. Uh, when you're looking back on this 10 years down the line, uh, in our modern moment, a lot of this does not play very well. I don't know how great it played even at the time. Um, what's your take on going back and revisiting, you know, the black widow origin story is sadly, still many months away even though as we're recording this it should just be like a couple of weeks away um but this is the first black widow sighting in the mcu and she's going to go on to be a foundational player i mean it's it is it is awkward and weird and you know problematic i mean like you said tony stark is a problematic character um in terms of his womanizing for sure uh it, it is a bad um trait of his for you know absolutely um, I do think, though, to an extent, it, it it does establish what that character is capable of in terms of using that part of her to her advantage. I mean, we see it in Avengers when she's, you know, pretending to be this weak willed person against Loki when they're conversing. And then she's just like, yeah, idiot, you gave me what exactly I need to know. Um, so I think in a similar circumstance, she uses that to her advantage in terms of ingratiating herself, finding out information she needs you know, infiltrating, you know, she basically knew what type of Tony person Tony Stark is and used that to her advantage to accomplish a goal she wanted to do. Um, Tony comes off looking bad, but she comes off looking exactly like she needs to be um, a black widow. Um, so that aspect I think does still work. Um, you know, uh, we're not, I don't, it's hard because I think people look at Tony in that moment and are still like, yeah, Tony Stark, as opposed to like, yeah, that's probably not great. I mean, we right. get it though, right? And he has to. I think character growth is important, and that includes bad traits. Like, um, I think Tony becoming a better person, even in that regard, is important. And uh, and, and I, I think to a certain extent, he does as as, as, as the series goes on. Um, so I think it works out. And Black Widow, I mean, she has great moments in this. Her flipping Happy Hogan, you know, over immediately. Her favorite move. By the way, she does that move all the time. The like, like the leg flip that she does at the She's end of the film. She's the only person who enjoys subduing somebody by choking them out with her, their legs more than Jack Bauer, who also loves this move quite a bit. 
Uh, yes, Zenya on a top from uh, oh, Goldeneye. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's right. That's right. My uh, Famke Jensen, uh, big fan of hers. Um, but it's always the Russians. Yeah, right. Uh, I don't know what it is. And Jack but, Bauer, but I guess Jack like, Bauer. He lives in Russia now because he was arrested. <laughs> that man's always arrested and then not arrested. He gets well, a lot of. <laughs> Unless Keeper wants to do it again, that's where he is. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 um yeah, I I, I think it works well. Uh, another thing. Though I have to say is we did jump over it, but I got to point out this line before I forget again. But Rhodey's introduction with Don Cheadle of uh, what, what, what is the quote? I wrote it down here, but he's essentially just like, um, it's, it's me. me. I'm, I'm here. here. Deal with it. Move on. Yeah. What a great like just gloss yeah. over of that recasting. And I thought was really, really smart and really funny. Um, so I had to call that out before I forgot it because I remembered Rhodey and I was like, oh, that's another character. It's a funny introduction movie. Worked. No surprise, right? That it's got Thoreau, who's a really funny guy. Uh, even if Kevin Garvey didn't necessarily portray that often enough on, on the leftovers, he's a very funny guy. Tropic Thunder, uh, Favreau and, and RDJ had already kind of, you know, cleared this lane. Shane Black, once again, consulting with these guys, he really is like the natural successor for Iron Man three. Uh, it really does kind of in a lot of ways come full circle with him taking the helm. Um, but like Don Cheadle is a very funny actor. The whole Senator Stern stuff with Gary Shandling, <laughs> the late Gary Shandling, rest in peace. It uh, <laughs> is like that whole scene is really good. We're like, oh, you can thank me. I've successfully privatized world peace. <laughs> and like everyone like going nuts and, and then bleeping out F you buddy. F you yeah. Mr. Stark. It's uh, so great. That scene was fantastic. Fricking like, uh, Tony at the end when he's awarding him. It's a like little it's, prick. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting how much damage a little prick can do, huh? Yep. Uh, like it's a very funny movie. It's a very it's great. funny movie. And we're seeing though the change, right? Because Iron Man one had moments, but it didn't have, I think, the 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 beat of moments that we get in this. And Hulk had very few. And I think this is really now we're starting to see what the MCU is going to become with these lighthearted moments and these these kind of like fun aspects of the series. Uh, of films that really shine through in Iron Man 2. Now, I think it's disjointed because there's a lot of dramatic stuff because he's also dying and you have the the faux demon in a bottle storyline, yeah. um, which we got to talk about that at some point. But um, you, you get it. You get those comedy beats and they work really well because, again, of chemistry of the cast and, and we get that play out. Like even something as simple as like, Natasha taking out all these guards and then happy taking out one and being like, I got him. And it's like, oh, like, you know, uh, those moments are are, are really fun and really great. I think bring, bring the right amount of levity, levity to these, uh, to, to, to the films. Um, Um, some set, some set piece stuff. So we talked about the end fight. Um, do you want to say anything more about the Monaco race? Cause you really love that. And I, I mean, it, it just, just look cool. Like even like the Stark racing uniform is really cool. The Stark racing uniform is really cool. It, and again, it the action ridiculous that Mickey work is able to get that gear, uh, past security. How did he not uh, get, uh, hailed by the metal detectors? I mean, I don't know what the security is like in, in like, Monaco. <laughs> I didn't know like, Hey, you're like really bulking out of your suit there. <laughs> Well, he's a mechanic for, for right? Like for all he can say, it's like, it's like this dude, is dude. I don't want to judge, but like your body shape is freaking weird, man. Like you've yeah, got like, but Elon Musk gave it to him. We saw Elon was there. This was special Elon Musk technology. That. I don't want to talk about Elon Musk being <laughs> here. So but strange. Like, you know, he he got in there. Yes, it's sure it's weird, but that's like one of those things we allow for um, villain movies. You know, villains in movies all the time. 
Um, but like uh, the action to Speedway is great. Again, it takes it takes advantage of the set pieces to create a dynamic fight scene that really fit. And all and honestly, that's my shot of of the movie is is Whiplash walking down the the thing burning off at him walking on the Speedway as the cars go by. I think like you know I call that the trailer money shot. Yeah. Um, and it and it is it's the one they had in the trailer. And I just like the visuals of it. I love the briefcase suit. That's really cool. I mean, the movie is still rocking at this point. It's super fun. You have an amazing action sequence where he fights him. And it lasts longer than the last two seconds we see at the end, uh, the end fight. Um, you have Pepper being great. You have him splitting apart that limo. The, the just, suitcase armor, I remember at the time, was like, oh shit, suitcase armor. Right? Straight from the comic book. And it is. Like, oh my god, this is what you can do with Iron Man. This is so much fun. <laughs> It's great. And I think all that works so well. So that's why like that scene for me is the standout uh, of this film. And I think it was done really, really well. And unfortunately, you then also follow that up with like an anticlimactic fight at the end. But yeah. in terms of action pieces, yeah, those are the two good ones or not even good ones. That's the good one. Then you have the OK one at the end. Then you have the one in the middle. Which yeah. Is, so talk me through it. it you know, it's like this is the point where Tony, it's his birthday and like he's got palladium poisoning. He's going to have to concoct a new element in order to cure <laughs> himself is of that palladium. Like, they don't say it, but that's vibranium, right? Like, it's vibranium or adamantium that he invents. Like, it's crazy that they never really talk about that, I feel like. And maybe someone will correct me, but like, no, he invents... No, there's no way, because vibranium is already a big deal in Wakanda and everything. It like, is, but the- we didn't have access to it. So if Howard Stark knew vibranium existed, but he, could, he knew that he couldn't make Cap Shield out of vibranium because they didn't have enough of it, and he wanted to recreate it... Uh, to make Cap Shield eventually, he he would have the element. He would be able to break it down, but he can't make it. So I could see that being them trying oh, to okay. create a version. And honestly, it could be great if it's like they tried to replicate vibranium. They can't because Wakanda has it and you just can't replicate it. And now that's adamantium. And that's future, how you bring adamantium into this. Interesting. Future Black Panther storyline. Uh Wakanda's contributions of vibranium technology are rejected because Justin Hammer, who has since been uh, bailed, has figured out a way to develop vibranium because he has stolen Tony's uh, methodology from Iron Man 2. What a way to bring back Justin Hammer, though. <laughs> Gotta bring back Justin Hammer. Come on. I'm amazed he's just they have it. He even says when, he ta- when he's being taken away, it's like, you haven't seen the last I mean, It's like, well, so far, yeah, we have. There's a, there's a great... You, there's a great YouTuber I really like um, called Nando V Movies who does a lot of breakdowns of superhero films. I really like that guy's stuff. I think he's very smart and a very clever writer. He actually does a re- like he does these rewrites and he did a rewrite of Justice League that is so goddamn good. It's insane. Like I it's like goddamn What's I wish it, that was a movie. Uh, hype the guy again. What's his name? Nando N-A-N-D-O V Movies. OK, cool. Um, and he, he does. He's doing a or he did. And I'm, I'm still watching it. Uh, the uh, uh, one for Defenders, where Justin Hammer is a big part of that. And I oh, think cool. he he has been continuously wanting to bring Justin Hammer back. And I think the way he does it in, in, in Defenders is really clever. But yeah, he should come back. And I think he can be brought in with interesting ways. I think the, the, the way the, with Tony gone and like now that there's like a vacuum and we got to see a little bit of that in Far From Home, the attempt at that with uh, with um, Jake Gyllenhaal as Mysterio. Yeah. Uh, like I think that there could be still stories about Iron Man's legacy and like uh, a, a great friend of mine very recently on a post show recaps podcast said nature abhors a vacuum. Uh, so they're going to try and like fill the void there. Uh, and could you see could you see like Justin Hammer taking on like the Norman Osborn role from some of the comic books uh, where he was Iron Patriot? Right. I know that we already do Iron Patriot to a certain extent in Iron Man three, 
But can you imagine Sam Rockwell in an Iron Man suit painted in in red, blue and white uh, and, and trying to like make his mark? on the world that way. I just I mean, wonder, I love I think there's a lot of possibilities because Sam Rockwell is obviously the man and uh, Justin Hammer is very thinly written, but like richly portrayed because Sam Rockwell is just very funny and having a great, like his whole thing where he's like the Cuban, this is the, <laughs> this, this is the thing. And the fact that the thing doesn't work at the end, yep. the, <laughs> the ex-wife yep. is just tremendous. Uh, I can absolutely imagine that, especially the, if that Iron Patriot armor then just starts dancing in, very, in Sam Rockwell's very unique way. <laughs> uh, well, it's a good visual. Dancing that, that gets us back on track yes. with uh, <laughs> another sequence, another set piece I know we wanted to talk about, which is, and I agree with you, and I think I, I texted this to you the other day when I was watching it. Uh, you know, Iron Man 2 is like bopping. It's fun. Yep. Like, there's some stuff that feels a little dated. It's not great. At least he d- he's not using the flip flo- phone, really. Like, <laughs> it's a different, a little bit of an advancement of technology. And, like, things are cool and things are fun. And then Tony, who's dying, wants to have, like, the best birthday party ever. And so he gets wasted and throws a huge party in his Iron Man suit. And Rhodey comes over and he's like, enough. And he goes downstairs, fulfills the Terrence Howard destiny. Uh, the prophecy is fulfilled. <laughs> he gets into the Mark II armor, and uh, another one bites the dust. Is just bumping as Iron Man v War Machine, uh, and Iron Man even names him like, "You want to be the War Machine, man?" Yeah, and it's like, oh no, movie, you were great. You were now doing you're so well. Me. You're losing well, me, Josh. It wasn't- is it that we don't like joy? Is it that we don't like fun things, or is this just not that fun? It's not that fun. I mean, well, there's a couple of things like that are wrong in this scene. I think one, you know, a thing that does make sense is Tony's destructive self behavior. He's a narcissist, right? He's an ego driven dude who found out he's dying. So of course his lashing out is going to be completely um, selfish and, and, you know, not really paying attention or caring about other people and cause this sort of destruction. That part makes sense. Um, I wish they had built it up just a little bit more, especially because they were trying to mimic demon in a bottle, which is, arguably Tony Stark's most famous story arc because in the comics, Tony Stark was an alcoholic and this leads him down a spiral. Um, so they're trying to mimic that happening, but then you have this fight where it's just in his house, everything is being broken. People are all around and they're just using objects that like it's, it's, it's the set piece done wrong. It's the opposite of the speedway. It's the opposite of using the set piece too much, I think. And it just doesn't work. And it wasn't even that they were fighting to another one bites the dust. They, if I'm not mistaken, they were fighting to, it takes two, which, Oh boy, just does not work. I mean, that's become a thing as we have discussed a lot about using music unnatural music in fight sequences but helps enhance it we see that to a successful degree and then we see that to sometimes trying to mimic it to faulty degree there's one thing show but i'm not gonna name it but i i I know exactly you know what i'm talking about i want to talk about it yeah that's fine i don't want to yuck anybody's yum because i know people like i don't want to yuck anyone's umbrella yeah people (laughs) people love it um but this doesn't work. The, the music doesn't fit. It's not right. The, the scene is very odd. It's not paced well. And you just have these, this thing where these two people fight each other to the point where it just doesn't work or make sense even. Because it's like when heroes fight heroes, it rarely can actually make sense. It's a hard thing to pull off. And to have two people like this fighting each other is also just so dumb and immature. And you're just like, what am I watching? Why is yeah. this happening? There's no... There's no amusement or fun to it. There's no like tension really in this moment. Um, so it, it was a very problematic, silly, nonsensical scene uh, that 
just doesn't work and it sucks because that's the that's pretty much the midpoint of the film when uh things start turning around for tony in a bad way you know he's at his lowest low um and then you do do get some good stuff that does feel it is forced right you that's when the shield stuff comes in but those scenes at least i thought picked it picked it back up you're, you're at this point where you're just like god damn these two characters right now and this fight is so blonde they're using what he's smashing the sauna and then they blow up the hat like what is what is happening but then you have Nick Fury show up. You have Natasha being just like, I'm the Black Widow. Hello. You have Coulson showing up. You have these great characters and dyna- dynamic moments and character interactions. I do think pull it all back up. Um, you, you didn't get some real weirdness about the like, hey, here's a new element um, with his Disney dad. How which mad is can funny. we be about, uh, about Tony Stark making a new element if we're not also going to be mad about him like creating vision? And like, I'm you know yeah. like, the, the mcu ends up getting like mega comic booky so if he's just gonna make an element like is it is it almost like it's it's not like comic booky enough that he's making a new element like he's making I, a new element in his basement i think we weren't ready for it i think uh, i think honestly now it, it works fine like it's a thing where we're like yeah all right um but like we haven't had rocket you know rocket raccoon and Groot yet so our, our, our i think our viewers we, we weren't ready for something like that I mean, it's it's the least like one of the least egregious things about this movie. It is weird. Again, I feel like it's a plot point that happens, and I'm like, huh? Because like, dude, he invents time machine later on, and it's totally like, all right, like you know, we 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 kind of accept the fact that he invents a time machine in Endgame while he's in a cabin, um, yeah. and I'm fine with it though. I'm fine with that, and I ultimately I'm fine with this element making aspect. I just wish if you're gonna make an element it's gotta play into something like that's got like to me that needs to come back that's where that adamantium or vibranium or something needs to come into effect with this moment because it's such a like a holy crap moment he invents something incredible but then we just never talk about it again. no incredible was Um, last week um was it incredible it was it though uh let's dig into some feedback and that'll help guide us through the rest of this and then if there's anything we feel like we've we've left uh on the floor uh, i know this is a little more scatterbrained than than we've done in the past i actually like this <laughs> I, I, th- I think it's fun to kind of just like cherry pick around these movies so uh this may be the way of it certainly the way of it today uh let's do some community reviews uh some reviews from the listeners of iron man 2 and let's start with with edwin who wrote in and said hot take but I liked Iron Man 2 more than Iron Man. Yeah, that's, that take is scalding hot. So that's it's a hot take. <laughs> it's a hot take. But there are ways in which, like, I think some of the highs of Iron Man 2 are higher than the highs of Iron Man 1. That's, that's true. The lows are much lower. Exactly. I think we're on more of a roller coaster in Iron yes. Man 2. I see Iron Man the is point, a very consistent but... quality. Yes. Uh, Iron yes. Man 2, like, you get real high. And then uh, some, another one bites the dust. Uh, the great <laughs> Daniel Strunk, Professor Strunk. The movie is entertaining in its individual bits and pieces, but I think it failed to combine into a compelling, cohesive whole. My two cents is that it tried to do too much. Think of all the different storylines. One, there's Tony's blood toxicity problem. Two, there's S.H.I.E.L.D. assessing Tony for the Avengers. Three, there's Tony's romantic storyline with Pepper. Four, there's Tony's daddy issues. Five, the U.S. government is trying to take Tony's suits Six, Justin Hammer hates Tony Stark. And seven, Whiplash. It's just too much. Uh, very wise words from Professor Strunk. I think that that is indeed the assessment. Um, but the entertaining in its individual bits and pieces is the piece that I keep coming back to where I'm like, it's more entertaining in its individual bits and pieces than I remember. It is. The, the pieces are very entertaining, which we even skipped over the fact that it's now cast John uh, Slatterly as as uh, uh as howard stark who does just the greatest disney impression like that <laughs> expo video i'm like 
oh my god it's disney like literally shot for shot posters on the wall and everything i thought that was very amusing especially since they weren't bought by disney yet um all right so let's let's keep digging in uh this is from Wes making you keep bringing this up kevin so let's talk about it a little bit more Wes writes in I'm going to assume that they're trying to evoke the demon in a bottle storyline from the comics here in Iron Man 2 and that we're supposed to sympathize with Tony because he's dying from palladium poisoning. But I still felt like it was like having to deal with whiny Harry Potter from the Half-Blood Prince all over again. (laughs) In the book, I'm almost willing to root for Voldemort and Stark was bringing those feelings back here. But all of this character building, in quotes, results in a movie where the bulk of the action is in the third act and we come to superhero movies for action. Um, So... Do me a solid and the listeners a solid. What is Demon in a Bottle? Because I think up until, you know, now, um, and maybe even still now, this could be his most iconic comic book arc. But up to this moment, this is the most popular Iron Man story. Is this story Demon in a Bottle? And what are the ways in which you see it um, echoing throughout Iron Man 2? Um, so Demon in a Bottle, and, you know, people are going to come at me for getting parts wrong here, but it's been a long time since I've read this comic from the seventies um, or eighties. Um, but basically, you know, Tony Stark has always been an ego, egotistical. He's also an alcoholic and this is his spiral of alcoholism going really, really, really bad um, to the point that it leads to very, very destructive behavior. And he ultimately loses uh, being Iron Man. He's no longer Iron Man by the end of the series. You have James Rhodes, basically, I believe taking over the role. Um, so it's this, self-destructive behavior through alcoholism that gets reflected in a very, very dark way, but a very real way. A lot of us experience, um, that story, I think handled the problems with alcoholism really well, um, in my memory. Um, it's alcoholism is a very, you know, emotional touchy thing for a lot of people, especially I have no idea what you're talking. Yeah. Um, coming, you know, from a lot of that, uh, my, you know, I have experience with that for my family, um, it, it, it's rough. And, and I think the storyline tackled it in a way that felt more real, um, which I appreciated, but ultimately it is about Tony Stark spiral and destructive behavior and doing some really stupid, dangerous things that lead to him no longer being Iron Man. Um, and we kind of sort of see that a little bit here. Um, I, I, you know, the, the self-destructive thing to feel sorry for him. Yes. But I agree that you kind of, it's hard to feel for him because of his behavior, but I don't know. There, there was a realism in there. And maybe again, cause it's me, cause I'm also have an ego that I, I saw the spiral and I kind of get it. I I've grown a lot since I was that bad, I think in terms of my ego and, and self-destruction, but um, I got it. Now that all said, I think you're actually thinking of Order of the Phoenix and not Half-Blood Prince when you make that comment because <laughs> Order of the Phoenix is the one where Harry uh, is actually literally going through puberty. Wow. So he's having a lot more emotions and a lot more emotional. I yeah. agree. He was very annoying in that book because I was older, but I I went through that. We all went through that phase. Half-Blood Kevin, Prince is great. Kevin, uh, all right, so okay, all right. Just going just gonna to hit that. But we can carry uh, on on Twitter. Hit me up. For yeah. That. As somebody who uh, is... Uh, 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 about a year and four-ish months, five months removed from his last drink, um, I would be very compelled to have seen a Demon in a Bottle storyline adapted well um, on a big screen, like to see like a big budget superhero movie taking on alcoholism and like normalizing that like there are a lot of people that can't do it. Uh, or can't do it well, or for whatever reasons, it's just not the right fit, whether it's genetic or it's learned behavior. Um, I think Iron Man 2 being the third movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe with all that's trying to happen here in this movie, 
I'm so glad they didn't try to do Demon in a Bottle. They would have they would have bungled the crap out of it. They would have they would have, they would have they would have like really done like a terrible job moralizing and it just it just wouldn't have been good. I think the uh the Marvel Studios of today should they choose to do something like that on like a Disney Plus show or something like that. I think that they could tell uh, a mature nuanced version of that story maybe maybe but even it, then it's a maybe um and like it just might be too adult honestly like i i can't see the modern day marvel just, movies i don't doing know that. that it needs to be that it's too adult especially like you know young people start doing stupid stuff when they're really young oh absolutely uh, and like it it can't hurt to like you know tell a really good story about like just like have fun but be cool like don't you know like and like also like some of this stuff is very prickly and like there are there are things about it that go well beyond something as simple as have fun but don't be stupid you know like it's it's very 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 deep water uh and i think it would be it'd be great if done well but it's so easy to do poorly uh and i'm really glad that they didn't try to do it here on iron man 2 i'm open to them trying to do something like that in a future marvel movie but only if they've got a killer idea and a killer way of presenting it and a killer team to back it up. And I just don't know that the juice is worth the squeeze uh, on <laughs> something like this. Um, let's keep going. Uh, a couple of different takes on Tony from this, uh, from this movie. This is from Kyle who says, I think the film's major problem is that Tony's self-destruction isn't self-inflicted. If he's the most upstanding guy in the world, he would still be dying just a little bit slower. So when he makes a magic triangle, there isn't any actual character growth. Uh, that's the take from Kyle. Uh, Jared, Jared offers an alternate take. Jared says, I think RDJ kills it here. He might be even better than the first movie. I really like how his life flashing before his eyes affects him. And I think it's interesting to reconsider in light of Endgame. I think I'm more aligned with Jared. I think that I actually, I think that like I prefer Iron Man one because it, of its historical value. And I think it's, it's, you know, it's on, a, it's a more stable movie. But I definitely think that Robert Downey Jr. is a lot more confident here in Iron Man 2 than he is in Iron Man 1. I think at this point, like, he's he's bringing that energy that he brings to the Stark Expo. He's, he's definitely like, bringing that energy. Welcome, I mean, buddy, it's me. I'm Iron yeah. Man. Well, he had, he had, you know, he saw the success. They, they saw that it worked. They were nervous the first time to be like, is this going to work? Is this character going to, you know, we're going to pull it off? And they did. So, he, of course, he feels a little more confident in this role now. And I think that makes total sense. Um, but that doesn't, you know, the, 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 the self-inflicting, I think, is a valid point on, on that end of it, that the character, um, he doesn't, he, he, well, it's hard to say he saw his life flash before his eyes necessarily um, too much in this because he also experienced that already, right? Like the life that flashed before his eyes when he was in the cave is the same life he's technically seeing now except now he's also Iron Man. So if anything, right. his life is on the upswing. And maybe if we saw more of that idea where it's just like, I'm dying before I actually really fulfill the greatness that I think I can accomplish, then we, then that could have pulled off. But instead we just, you know, see more of the destructive behavior because he's dying. The self-infliction part is interesting because that is demon in a bottle, right? Like there, there's reasons to it that obviously are deeper than like, you should just stop drinking. But um, I think there's a depth there that is lost in translation by making it just he's just palladium poisoning. Uh, let's talk some bad guy stuff. Uh, we've come from Christina B. Poor Mickey Rourke. His <laughs> character just does not have a lot to him. And you can see he's really trying his best to bring something more. Um, Wes Macon has a similar take on Justin Hammer. Uh, says, I like Sam Rockwell. He's a very good actor. He might have even made a decent Justin Hammer. 
but I really feel the direction they took the character with was horrifically bad. I get it. He's mirror universe Tony, but Hammer should be a kingpin, a Lex Luthor, a villain we know is the bad guy, but keeps enough plausible deniability to get away with it. Uh, what's your take on that take on Justin Hammer? Uh, my take is basically like, we kind of have a kingpin and we kind of have a Lex Luthor. Like, I think if they did that, it would have come off a little more too cliche, um, unfortunately, because those characters kind of exist and have uh, this public sphere mindset. I, I, I don't dislike a direction that they're going with Justin Hammer. I just feel like they didn't really, again, hit the, the pathos and ethos of the character enough to make him super interesting. But yeah, they could have done the Lex Luthor thing. But yeah, that's my main thing is if they did that, it's kind of like, well, we have that. It's Kingpin, you know, like Kingpin is 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 sort of that role that was filled. Um, so to have Justin Hammer do it, I don't think would have worked as well. Um, interestingly, uh, so so Brendan Fitzpatrick had written in the great Brendan Fitzpatrick, who is doing a bang up job collecting all of this behind the scenes stuff and feedback for us here on Everything is Super. Um, Brendan wrote, uh, did the movie even really need Whiplash? It could have just been hammer time the whole way, and I think the movie would be better for it. And the aforementioned Christina B., Kevin, mentions the aforementioned Nando V. movies, uh, where, hey! Christina, where Christina B. <laughs> says, I wish that they would bring uh, Justin Hammer back. He's a fun villain. Rockwell kills it in the role. Hopefully they do Dark Avengers, and he's a part of it. I watched this YouTube video from Nando V. movies, which he has slightly, which he has a slightly different vision for the movie with Justin Hammer as the big bad. And I have to say on paper... It sounds like better storytelling. Uh, so I have not checked this out, but Christina has a link to that Nano V movies. Uh, so since we've shattered them out so much, we will put that in our show notes for sure. But what do you think about a version of this where Justin Hammer is the solo bad guy? Does that make the movie a little cleaner if you take Whiplash out? But if you take him out, then you get rid of the Monaco scene. So like, feels like maybe, I don't know. I don't know how you balance all of that. You don't. I mean, that's the problem, right? Like, I think you lose the Monaco scene, which sucks unless he, I don't know, sends a robot out there that 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 can accomplish that fight, which is possible. I think you could have ended up with a better movie if you picked one villain and focused in and that way you could have developed those that pathos better. Um, I think Justin Hammer would have been really interesting um, because I think you could have done a lot more with him than we got to do it um, Obadiah Stane, but it would have been a similar path and that's probably why they wanted to avoid it and instead they just split the difference with right. business Obadiah Stane and then in a suit Obadiah Stane. But I, I would have liked to have seen, I, I think it could have worked out better, yeah, if they, if they had picked one or at least done a better job of coheding or making the villains cohesive. Um, all right, let's keep pushing through. Um, Savan Johnson asks, does Rhodey's recasting make the Hulk's recasting more acceptable? Yeah, is Don Cheadle a game changer, Kevin, uh, in that with us just like buying into Don Cheadle as Rhodey, we're going to be totally comfortable buying in to Mr. Ruffalo stepping in for Mr. Norton? I think yes, but I think this thing only works with characters and movies that we didn't really care about as much, right? Like yeah. in the first movie, like we, we got a little bit of Terrence Howard, but Rhodey wasn't established established yet. So they were able to pull it off. Same thing with the Hulk. People didn't really like Incredible Hulk that much. So recasting Mark Ruffler is kind of like, yeah, all right. Um, but if they did that, can you imagine partway through just being like, well, it's no longer uh, Chris Evans. Now it's this other dude. We would have been like, what? Like, you know, it would have been way worse. It would have been harder. But I think he does allow for recasting of, of, of certain characters for sure. Uh, Brian Lehman with some love for Natalie Rushman, a.k.a. Natalia <laughs> Romanoff, a.k.a. Black Widow. Brian says, my personal MVP from this movie is Black F and Widow. 
makes me super psyched to see the long, long overdue Black Widow solo film. I watched with my husband, Will. We both love the podcast. Shout out to Will. And I have to give him credit for this take, but the introduction of Black Widow is the best introduction of any character in terms of showing us exactly what she can do and how cool she can be. I totally agree. Loved that hallway fight scene, except for her terrible wig. <laughs> that's from that's from Brian. Uh, uh, I'm going to take that opportunity as well to uh, throw in my the Robin comment from this week, which uh-huh. is basically as as she has said many times, a lot of her comments are going to be about Black Widow's hair. Uh, and like she actually was, there was a moment where we were both shocked because Black Widow's hair when she showed up as Natalie Rushman um, was fine. Like it actually looked good, um, you know, decent. Uh, I don't want to speak for her on that regard, but she was very much like, wait, I thought this was a different hair. And then when the fight happened, she's like, ah, there it is. And like her basic comment too, is like, why would she loosen her hair to go into a fight? Especially when it looks like that. Uh, it's not the same down and loose hair. She has black widow. She has Natalie from legal. She has these intense gelled up curls and ringlets. It's like, she's going to homecoming in 2004. Um, and which I think is a very valid comment. And yeah, it's just a weird look for that character. Uh, but in terms of like the introduction, I can see that. I mean, like I, it's exactly as I said earlier, right? Like what an interest of the character. You kind of get everything that she's about throughout this movie and her abilities and her skill set. Um, if it's the best introduction of a character, I don't know yet. I'll have to re as we're re going through. I mean, I think we learn a lot about Steve Rogers in the first like 10 seconds of that, of that film um, about exactly what type of person he is. And similarly to Tony Stark, I mean, we kind of get exactly who Tony Stark is in the beginning of the movie personality. But as far as, a superhero and what they can do. Yes. I think this is pretty up there for that. Um, this is from Lawson who says, can we talk about how Har- Howard Stark is totally just Roger Sterling? Uh, <laughs> I don't understand what that means. So. Roger. Oh, are you not a Mad Men guy? No, I, uh, okay. So that's his character. Right, right, right. I forgot. Oh, no, I, I tried watching that show. I couldn't do it guys. I'm so sorry. Kevin. So John Slattery uh, plays Roger Sterling on Mad Men. Great character. Uh, and I don't know that we know necessarily that Howard Stark and Roger Sterling are the exact same guy, uh, but John, uh, John Slattery does just have this swagger about him. Um, He's great. <laughs> we'll have, we'll have to, when we get to Captain America in a couple of weeks, who's the better Howard Stark? Is it, uh, John Slattery or is it Dominic Cooper? I think the crazy thing is imagining a world in which Dominic Cooper grows up to be John Slattery. Like I just, yeah. that's, that just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make a ton of sense. How about this? How about uh, in terms of things that uh, people who grow into into unexpected uh, new new entities with new powers? Uh, Professor Strunk strikes again and says retroactively, Tom Holland and Kevin Feige have confirmed that the little boy in the Iron Man mask who almost gets taken out by a drone. No, get the fuck out of here. Get the fuck out of here. Get the fuck out of here. He dropped three. He dropped three. That's absurd. I mean, fine. It's really funny because when that scene happened, I wrote down on my notebook. Where's that kid's parents? I guess now I know. But it's like, wow. what? A, <laughs> come on. Like the, the Martin Starr thing I'll give and just be like, okay, that's really funny. I like that. This is just really what? I think this is great. Why is this a problem? It I just it's uh, Tony Stark more. It helps explain why he's such a hero to him. Here's the thing. Do we need that? That's my argument. Like Spider-Man. No, there's but a lot. it's fun. It's fun. <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot I love about the Tom Holland Spider-Man stuff. And I, I like legit love, love and it's high in my rankings but i think connecting tony stark deeply to that character isn't the right way that character's motivations and stuff is i think it's very very different 
Um, you know, I think the, the draw has to be because, like, if that happened, if he saw Tony Stark, if he saw what a hero is and all that stuff, he would like Uncle Ben wouldn't have died in the way he did. Like, I feel like there's just so much there that could alter the course of that character's personality and 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 direction. But sure, okay, You're a fun hater. What a fun hater this guy is. A fun is. hater. <laughs> and I'm I am in support of this little boy with the Iron Man mask standing up to the drone with his hand held out. Because he's a hero deep in his heart and someday shall become one Peter Parker Spider-Man. No. Because <laughs> I'm not a Grinch. You're a Grinch. Um, Stefan Johnson says, is this movie out of order in the MCU? I believe Iron Man 2 takes place before the Hulk. Um, I guess, and, and a couple people pointed this out to us, that there's a comic book tie-in that clears up the continuity regarding the Tony Stark stinger from incredible hulk mm, there's always a comic book tie and i feel like to, to clear up these issues uh i mean professor, having it take place after could make a lot more sense honestly professor strunk uh the the tim blake nelson here of our uh, of our everything is superhero po- uh, podcast which is a huge compliment strunk uh sums it up for us a little bit uh it's it's also apparently retroactively explained in a marvel one shot uh the post credit scene he says uh, the one shot explains that Tony Stark, a.k.a. the consultant, was sent by S.H.I.E.L.D. to meet with Thaddeus Ross to try to recruit the Abomination for the Avengers team. In reality, S.H.I.E.L.D. was using Stark. S.H.I.E.L.D. wanted to make sure that the Abomination stayed locked up and knew that Tony Stark would annoy Ross so much that it would encourage Ross to keep the Abomination locked up. The important takeaway here is that the Incredible Hulk post credit scene takes place after Iron Man 2 chronologically, because remember how at the end of Iron Man 2... Nick Fury discusses how they would like to have uh, Tony Stark in a consultant role. Why would I mean? I guess so about that. I guess that's that that can work. It is just weird to think. Oh well, they sent him to recruit the Abomination because they knew that it would keep the Abomination locked up. I guess it's it, it's still a bit weird. I think it's they're they're, they're hand waving on that one, but sure, why not? <laughs> Um, and then finally, uh, from Lawson Campbell, can we give bonus point villain, uh, bonus villain points to Senator Stearns? Uh, no, we cannot. You can in your heart. Uh, <laughs> but we, we won't for the purposes of this podcast. Uh, hail Hydra. Uh, all right. Hail Hydra. <laughs> Let's get into our infinity stone rankings. Kevin, uh, the way this works is we're going to be ranking the movies along the way, the villains along the way, the post credit scene along the way. I give a score. Kevin gives a score. The audience writes in to super at postshowrecaps.com with their scores from a scale of zero to six infinity stones. We round up the average audience score as a third data point. We average that with my score with Kevin's score. And that gives us our official score here for everything is super Um, movie rankings. Let's start there. Um, So here are the polls that we're working with so far Uh, at the top. We've got Iron Man. Uh, I'm talking about my own personal polls. You can speak to yours, Kevin. Um, I have Iron Man at the top right now with five out of six Infinity Stones, which I know is a, a full stone further than you would like, Kevin. Uh, and <laughs> so I've high. Got the, I've got the Incredible Hulk as low as a 1.5 because it really just doesn't fit. Um, Iron Man 2 was once upon a time in my mind worse than the Incredible Hulk, but it's definitely not. So it's definitely higher than a 1.5 for me. And there is a lot that I think it whiffs on, but there's a lot that just kind of like works in spite of itself. So I think I want to set Iron Man two as like 
a midpoint in the rankings for me that I think you got to clear an Iron Man 2 threshold because I think that this is my theory of the MCU is that by and large, these movies are great. By and large, these movies are very, very good. Even when they're average, that's like pretty close to being the worst that these movies get. So let's test that. Iron Man 2 is going to get a solid three from me. I'm going to give it three out of six Infinity Stones. This is dead set in the middle. We're 50% of the way there. And I think that most movies will end up clearing that. And then I'll be very surprised when they don't. Uh, so Iron Man 2 is going to rest right there at that 50 yard line. Again, I don't know if it's like a 50 yard line, if that makes sense. It's going to be does. there. You, you did good on that one. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. uh, so 50 yard right. lines in the middle. Okay, great. So there it is at the 50 yard line. I was right all along. Uh, Iron Man 2 is going to get a three from me. Um, I, you know, obviously I was a little bit, um, not as generous, I guess, uh, to say, but like Iron Man one definitely still at the top for me. Um, it's out of four, uh, which I think is my own very fair assessment of that film, especially again, considering the broader context of every other film that I know exists out there for this, um, in the MCU. Um, and Incredible Hulk was a two, right? Like in my mind, mainly because I'm pretty sure there's going to be a movie that's lower. If it's not, congratulations to that film. Um, but we shall see. Uh, and in a similar way, I didn't want, I wasn't going to go full three for this because I feel like there's other movies that will sit in the middle a little bit better. Um, for right now, Iron Man two is a good mid ground, but I think there's so many other movies that are still better than Iron Man two that still fall in the middle for me about what's to come. And because of that, I did give the movie a 2.5. It's not that far off from your three, but for me, I think it just works a little bit better. So we have Iron Man at a four, Iron Man 2 to 2.5 and the Incredible Hulk at a 2. And maybe I might change that Incredible Hulk from a 2 to a 1.5 later. We'll see, I guess. Um, So the audience score for Iron Man 2 is even higher than mine, uh, but barely. 3.1 is the listener average. Uh, It goes as low as a 1. I see even a a 1.5 score. Uh, And I don't think it breaks into the fives it doesn't no one no one gave it past a five but there's a few scores in the fours there uh and i think that a lot of people were kind of just surprised by iron man too uh in the reevaluation of it so with my three with kevin's two and a half with the audience is 3.1 we land at 2.87 for iron man two as it stands uh so the rankings as they stand iron man with a comfortable lead uh at 4.59 big gap then iron man two in second with 2.87 and the Incredible Hulk uh, still bringing up the rear of 1.93. Um, let's evaluate some villains. I gave Obadiah Stane a three, Kevin. That was a precedent that I set. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, we, we both did because we really liked uh, <laughs> enough that uh, Jeff Bridges portrayal of that character. And for that exact same reason, I'm just going to dump threes on Justin Hammer and Whiplash because I, wow. really, I really, really love Sam Rockwell in this. And I'm so surprised by how much more I enjoyed Mickey Vork in this than I remembered. And I really think that if, if Whiplash really screws up at the end, that's it. Like he really blows it at the end. He decides to get into a suit of armor that he's probably never flown around in before. He goes up against Tony Stark, who's been in that armor for you know a good little while at this point, and Rhodey, who is a trained soldier, and he gets annihilated in five seconds. To the point, Kevin, where like I was watching it, and then Emily walked in the room to talk to me about something. I turned to look at her, and like 
address like whatever it was we needed to talk about. And then when I turned back to the movie, Whiplash was dead. It just <laughs> happened that fast. I had to rewind. I was like, oh God, he dies that quick. Uh, so that's why he can't go any further than a three. But my enjoyment of Whiplash, of Mickey Rourke with the, the bird. I want my bird, my bird. I want my bird. Uh, it, it's just uh, such thorough enjoyment that I get out of that character and out of Sam Rockwell that I'm just going to hit them both of the three. I like them both so much. I mean, I, you know, I, I gave Stain a three based on like, I did like Jeff Bridges, but I also caveated that with trying to pull away as much as possible from that portrayal. Right. Because like, I tried to look at it as the, as the villain itself and in, in a weird, like, well, he set the precedent way. Like he did that villainy and his motivations were there. And then you have now Justin Hammer and Whiplash who are just each, each basically like half of what Obadiah Stain was. So as villains, as much as I liked the performances, I, I could not give them that, that high. Uh, I felt that Obadiah Stain had more because he was a whole villain with those things versus just split in two now. So Whiplash, as much as I love, love, love Mickey Rourke's interpretation of that character, I gave it a 1.5 because I feel like the character wasn't there. The depth of the character wasn't there enough. And Justin Hammer, I did give a two because I do think he has a lot of potential and really, he got an extra point five because, again, of uh, Sam Rockwell's dancing. So. Yeah. Uh, audience is closer to me on Justin Hammer, 2.9. Um, they are really basically in the in the middle of us uh, uh, for Whiplash, 2.3. Uh, and so that puts us... This is These are the rankings of the villains as it stands. Obadiah Stane, King of the Mountain, uh, 3.17 right now for Obadiah Stane. Justin Hammer following him at 2.65. Whiplash following Justin Hammer, 2.28. Uh, all three of them above Emil Blonsky. Uh, I want that. I need that. Uh, <laughs> 1.61 for Emil Blonsky and a 1.51 for Thunderbolt Ross. I feel like um, that ranking is about to change next week. Pretty hardcore. We'll, <laughs> yeah, we'll find out. Uh, Post credit scenes. Speaking uh, of. <laughs> speaking of, yes, the tease of Thor's hammer, which I'm just going to give a 2.5. It's better than the, the RDJ cameo, but it, it still is just like hype building. But I do remember at the time, like it's not like a big surprise, but it's just more like, oh man, I'm very curious to see what they're going to do with Thor. Like how is Thor going to fit into any of what they're doing here? Um, so I remember my, my hype levels were like, not like off the charts in the same way that the Nick Fury scene is by any stretch of the imagination. So it's still a pretty muted score. Um, and I think especially in the context of like other MCU post credit scenes, this has to be fairly low and this has to be below that 50 yard line, Kevin. And I even wonder if 2.5 is a little high, but I'm just going to keep it there for now. Uh, you were doing well with the sports analogies, but depending on what direction you're facing below the 50 yard line is actually going to be a good thing. But anyway, for the offense they're uh, <laughs> underneath the 50 yard line. Yeah, so there you go. Um, so that's, that's it. Uh, so yeah, you want to be going to 40, 30, 20, 10 if you are the offense because you want to push towards the goal. Oh, um, so if you're the defense, you yeah. want to be okay. Yeah, anyway, it's gotta um, be your bull. Got somebody's it. gonna okay. now come back and be like, Well, actually, you're what you wanted anyway. Um, I'm not a sports expert, guys, I, I barely know more than Josh here. Uh, but Iron Man 2, yeah, uh, the Thor's hammer, I remember being excited for about it and like the excitement's still there but it's not high you're right it's not super high i think my my biggest memory of the time and i think what i did like is that that scene that shot of thor's hammer in a crater is pulled straight out from the comics at one point 
it's a more modern version of the comics, but it's this great moment where like Thor's hammer had landed and people are just like in a line, like a giant line, which we kind of see in Thor, if I'm not mistaken, of trying to lift that hammer and no one being able to. And it's just this fun, you know, thing of people trying to do until, uh, uh, until the real Thor shows up in the comics. He has an alter ego named Donald Blake and it's a whole other thing. But, uh, I liked that shot because it was like, Oh, comic book. Um, but you know, in retrospect, it's as good to me as just RDJ showing up. It's like Thor's hammer is the level of RGJ showing up in, in, uh, incredible Hulk. So I ended up giving it a two, which was the same ranking. Um, now, that said, uh, it was exciting to to hear the lightning strike. And I do distinctly remember one of my stories I want to share about this, about seeing that movie for the first time in theaters. Uh, that happened, and then there was a moment of quiet, and then someone said, it's Thor! And I was just like, like laughed because like they weren't doing it to be obnoxious they were like they really did like oh man thor because like they didn't know that thor was like i guess coming like we're we're more sometimes you need to be reminded that you're more ingrained in this stuff than uh, everyone else so it was a genuine like excited happy moment from someone and i distinctly remember that and being like yeah buddy it is thor it's gonna be cool you know uh audience significantly higher on this than us uh 3.8 from the audience for thor's hammer uh, which boosts this up. This is the the second best post credit scene so far. Nick Fury is still in the in the untouchable, I think, lead with five point nine six, uh, two point seven six for Thor's hammer, two point two seven for the RDJ cameo in the Incredible Hulk. Uh, Kevin, you and I have been tracking uh, some informal rankings on our own. Just you and I, like having to reach some measure of consensus. I was saying the Iron Man two fight is the best uh, final battle so far. You disagree? I did. I will concede to you if you concede to me the next time I have a strong feeling on the final battle ranking. Uh, I, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. I can do that. Okay. If we get an impasse, that. it's going to be, You're it's going to be one that, that I'm really passionate about. I'm like, You're damn gonna it. regret that, but we'll keep switching it back and forth. This is the <laughs> arrangement. You have the power right now. Iron Man is clearing Iron Man two. I'll have the power next time. And you will be in deep, 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 deep danger the next time we do this. If you come after Black Panther, there will be problems. I'm not saying one way or the other. <laughs> um, all right. So Iron Man, best final battle. Iron Man 2 is secretly the best final battle. But for the informal rankings, the second best final battle. Uh, and the Incredible Hulk is still bringing up the rear. And then how about uh, let's close out with our informal, uh, uh, our informal stones, uh, Stan Lee's. Uh, Stanley is Larry King here. Like, I like kind of like that the recurring gag is like he's someone he's just playing just, someone. Like, yeah, either that or he's like confusing him. Like, <laughs> uh, like he thinks he's Hugh Hefner. He thinks he's Larry King. He's not it's weird because Hugh he dresses Hefner, just King. like them. So maybe in this world, Stanley is just dressed similar to uh, the person. <laughs> I I thought like the blink and you'll miss it quality of this was a little funnier than the Hugh Hefner gag. So I'll I'll take Larry King over Hugh Hefner. But Incredible Hulk still gets to hold the title here. Yeah, I think we're in agreement there. I think Incredible Hulk is definitely the best. So far and yeah i think the blink and you miss it is just a little bit better than the like focus on and you have that moment of like wait what's because like when it when it happens in, in iron man you're just like wait is he hugh hefner is he just dressed like hugh hefner is he confused like what's happening there versus right. now you're just kind of like wait was that and i think that works better so yes that's our that's our stan lee's <laughs> those are our stanley rankings all right that's gonna do it for iron man 2 uh much more fun than anticipated which bodes very well for the future of this podcast especially as we are now going to start branching into some characters that are also mcu mainstays that we haven't had a chance to talk to in deeper detail even if it's not necessarily a phenomenal film i'm really really excited to get into the thor universe yes talk yes, about yes. Thor, talk about loki talk about hemsworth talk about hiddleston uh, even get my my boy Tony Hops 
get some Tony Hops in this in this mix. Uh, Thor is going to be fun. That's coming next week. Uh, directed by Gilderoy Lockhart himself. I know uh, the connections are all there. <laughs> it's all it's all there. So our Thor recap that should be dropping April 29th is what we're shooting for. Again, we appreciate you bearing with us on the delay. Uh, get your uh, feedback for the podcast in by April 27th at the latest. You can email us super at postshowrecaps.com or you can tweet at us at postshowrecaps at Round Howard at Kev Mahadeo. And again, please subscribe. Your ratings and reviews right now so appreciated as we are trying to build up this audience for more people to join us, not just for the MCU rewatch. We've said we've promised through phase one. Who knows where we go beyond that? Kevin and I seem to be having a great time right now. Until you would. start coming after some movies that I love, and then in which case, yeah, friendship you start over. being such a fun hater about <laughs> Spider-Man. What is, <laughs> what's your problem? Anyway, uh, we're having fun so far, so we will keep doing this for the foreseeable future, but we are promised through at least phase one. Then let's see where we go beyond that, and then if we hit the end of the MCU, there's still places that we could go. There's a lot of superhero movies and TV shows out there. Uh, we had one uh, one person had, had written in, uh, Lawson had written in, Kevin, and said... Uh, have you guys, uh, I, I've been binging Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. during quarantine, says Lawson. Have Josh and Kevin kept up with the show? Would they consider doing some conversation about uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Uh, I have not watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> At all? I, no, no, I have wow. not. I know. I just, I don't, I don't even know what it is that has just not compelled me enough to want to watch it. I think the disconnect, I guess, from the major MCU is... Is I don't think it's imminent, it? folks. I don't think it's imminent. I think uh, that's like for our uh, $100,000 patrons. Uh, yeah, we'll maybe that. Just because like, it's also 22 episodes, guys. And that's it's too much commitment. TV these days for me. Too much. Yeah, 22 yeah. episode seasons. Ooh. Show us the money and we'll do the Agents <laughs> of S.H.I.E.L.D. recap. But until that time, it's, uh, you know, who knows what, what, what the future holds. But it's not, not in the plans right now. Um, I did enjoy uh, the first season and a half that I saw of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And then I fell off and then it became way too much TV to to catch up on. Um, all right, Kevin, uh, you're on Twitter at Kev Mahadeo. People can holler at you, see what you're working on. You've got yeah. stuff. I know that you're, you're trying to get some comics going. Nothing nothing major to report just yet, but you're working on your things. I'm working on some stuff um, that, you know, I mentioned website and everything. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get some stuff out there, really trying to, uh, especially as we're all in quarantine, uh, do some more things. Um, so yeah, you can follow me at Kevin Mahadeo for any updates on that, uh, and comic book recommendations. Someone asked me about the flash. I, I gave him some records on that. So hopefully uh, he enjoys the ones that I suggested. Any um, Thor recommendations to get people hyped for Thor? Um, yeah. Jason Aaron, a lot of the Jason, the Aaron, Jason Aaron stuff is really great. I would even say you can go further back, um, than that. I think the, um, uh, the Ragnarok storyline from way back when, um, before you know, Avengers Disassemble and stuff is really good stuff. I think that sets the the end of the of of an era of Thor. The Thor we knew ended there, and then that kind of rebooted with J. Michael Straczynski's Thor, which I thought was really good and a possible future for the MCU. Honestly, um, and then after that, I think you can go into more of the Jason Aaron stuff, a little more of the modern stuff. Um, can be really great, especially now we know was coming Love and Thunder. There's an arc, like you said, where with Jason Aaron, where um, Jane Foster becomes Thor. So there's a lot of good stuff recently, but I would actually suggest going a little further back, hit that, that Thor Ragnarok storyline before Avengers disassembled, and then go into the JMS uh, Thor stuff. Wow. Um, I think is really solid. All right, there's your Thor homework from Kevin. Uh, <laughs> if, you read, if you read any of that stuff and you've got any questions for Kevin to read on the podcast, we could certainly do that. You can also just hit him up 
on the Twitter machines at Kev Mahadeo. I'm at Round Howard. There's so much happening on post show recaps right now. Westworld is getting close to the end of the line. Better Call Saul has reached the end of the line, uh, but there's still some podcasting to be done there with myself, Antonio Mazzaro, and Rob Cesternino, who's going to be joining us for a feedback show. Uh, Killing Eve podcasting going on. Lost Down the Hatch is happening as well, plus some bonus sporadic Final Fantasy VII Remake coverage. Kevin, I know you're playing FF7 Remake. How's that going? No spoilers? Uh, great. I just... Uh... Uh, no spoilers crash through a roof is what I'll say. Okay. I got it. I know where you're at. Yep. We'll talk offline. Cause it's a pretty cool thing. That's about to happen for you. Yep. Uh, and it's a pretty cool thing. That's going to happen to you. If you out there listening, get into FF seven and you want to hear, uh, myself and Ken Hong, the King of smash from survivor Gabon talking about FF seven. Cause that's what we're doing. Uh, we're not really promising a schedule on that one. It's just really happening as it happens. I consider any final fantasy seven podcast, a bonus final fantasy seven podcast. So that's what's up. We'll be back next week. Talking Thor. Until then, everybody, take care. Bye. Bye. recording i am still recording uh do you want to pick up a hammer so that like uh this counts as like a post-credit scene <laughs> if i have, have any hammers nearby up. no what do you have that what's the heaviest object that you have nearby that we could hear you really strain uh there's a suitcase. how about this how about this how about this <laughs> do your best impression of yourself picking up mjolnir um what would it sound like well, I would just lift it off the ground and hold it oh, up, and then there would be a lightning strike. Look so. at you, <laughs> son of a! Uh, you got a hashtag for this one? If people have made it this far, I mean, I like hashtag Hammer Time because one is just in Hammer, but also leads into Thor. <laughs> oh man! But we're gonna cross over into MC Hammer Twitter, and I am fine with that, sir. <laughs> All right, hashtag Hammer Time. If you got to the special ending. All right, take care, everybody. Bye. Bye. <laughs>